You are Locked On Marlins, your daily podcast on the Miami Marlins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back to the Locked On Marlins podcast, your only daily podcast on all things Miami Marlins. As always, I'm your host, Arm Layton, and today's going to be the very delayed Mailbag Monday episode. I've been very behind this week, and I apologize for that. So I'm going to make up for it by answering as many questions as I can and getting as in-depth on some of these questions as I can. Always some good questions from all of you, so I appreciate that and makes it a lot easier for these episodes because it's fun to answer some of the questions that you have. So to start with, I'll say this. I mean, the Marlins offseason is going to be fun. I'm enjoying this World Series right now, uh, not thinking too, too much about it, but also I catch myself when I'm either writing something or getting ready for a podcast or whatever, start going down the rabbit hole of players that could be available, free agents, uh, how the money all works with the Marlins, you know, who, who can they get rid of that would clear up some money, Jose Urania being one of the obvious options to shed some salary, Mike Hill, ironically, one of the options clearly to shed some salary as they uh, get $2 million off the books with Mike Hill being let go or not renewed his contract as he was a five-year, $10 million contract. There's a lot of players that I think are going to start to emerge as potentially available that we haven't even really thought of as available right now. Somebody that I've seen brought up, I think Eli Sussman brought it up with fish stripes, is Christian Vasquez. And I like Vasquez a lot too, so I'll talk a little bit about that, about the moves that the Marlins can make because that seems to be a constant trend in all of the mailbags, but also I want to make sure every time I answer the question, I'm not getting redundant and try to add a slightly different perspective from whatever I provided before. Uh, I will say the one question I'm really glad that I got, and it's what I want to start with, is why do you think that so many of the Marlins' top prospects have struggled when they come up over the last couple years or failed to produce? And, you know, that's a good question. And I'll get into it a little bit because I think we have a the situation that the Marlins are in. They have so many rookies coming up. And just generally speaking, a lot of the top prospects, more top prospects struggle in their debuts than don't. I won't sit here and pretend that it's not a little bit disproportionate with how many have struggled for the Marlins. But when you look at the type of prospect that the Marlins have been pursuing, it makes sense that if they if, if it's a worst case scenario, it's it's kind of this. Because they went after volatile prospects, right? They want high variance, high ceiling, high risk prospects. That seems to be the way they want to operate. And so you look at all of the Marlins' top prospects, or nearly nearly all of the top Marlins' offensive prospects, you could make the case for them to become an all-star. You could also make the case for them to flame out and not even be a major leaguer in a few years in a worst-case scenario. You can look at Lewin Diaz, and he's probably the safer but you look at some of the other guys, Jesus Sanchez, you can make the all-star case with the raw bat speed he has. Monte Harrison, you can make an absolute all-star case if he's able to really put it all together with the athleticism and power that he has. But we also know how risky he is. Jazz Chisholm, same thing. You could make an all-star case for him, no problem with the tools that he has. But you can also make a case that he could struggle mightily and not work out. These are very extreme prospects. And when, when you look at some of the other prospects, the 
Nico Horner's, even though Horner struggled this year, his ceiling is is not very high. He, he's a 750 OPS guy that's going to play you good defense. So if Horner struggles, to me, that hurts even more because he's struggling to reach his relatively low ceiling or even to reach his what we were thought or what his perceived floor was, which was relatively low. He's even struggling to reach that. That would be more concerning for me. If Jazz Chisholm, who has the potential to be a star, is still struggling a little bit out of the gate, I would rather that than the guy that I was hoping would be a safe bet is struggling out of the gate, if that makes sense. And something that I want to point out here is just this year alone, let's talk about some of the rookies and how they did. And these aren't just some random rookies. I'm not just bringing up some random players. These are top prospects. Almost all of them that I'll name here are top 100 prospects. Several are top 20, some even top 15 going into this year. And of these prospects, all of them had an OPS under 700 this year and played at least 18 games because the one player that played less than 20 games was Gavin Locks. And I wanted to put him on here because he was a perennial top prospect, top three prospect, and really struggled despite coming up a little bit late, having more time to work on things. Maybe he was pressing a little bit, you know, late in a season for a team that was kind of cemented into the playoffs. Kind of a weird situation. Not concerned about really any of these guys except for one or two. So I'll, I'll just get into it. Here's the guys with OPS under 700. Carter Keboom, another top 15 prospect perennially, was really bad this year. Really, really struggled. Joey Bart, under 700 OPS. He struggled. He did not look sharp behind the dish. The game just looked quick to him. Dalton Varsho, same thing. OPS under 700. Great athlete. Made some good plays in the outfield. Good behind the dish, but just didn't really get it going offensively. Dylan Carlson, another perennial and unanimous top 20 prospect. He struggled. He did get sent down to the alternate training site. Came back up. Looked a lot better but not good enough to get that OPS over 700. Evan White very much struggled. He was more of a safer prospect with a gold glove caliber glove at first base and a power profile with a guy that walks and doesn't strike out too much. Well, he comes into the bigs this year and he strikes out a lot. And that was something new that we hadn't seen from him. That's a little bit concerning. And that's just another example of of who is a safe prospect then. You know, we thought Luis Diaz, kind of a similar profile, right? Luis Diaz, really good defender. Better hit tool, so we figure, well, if somebody's going to pan out right away, maybe it'll be Lewin. Small sample size, but he struggled a little bit. That's just what happens sometimes. Gavin Lux, as I mentioned earlier. Joe Adele was as bad as any big leaguer, really, in baseball. Joe Adele was reminiscent of Lewis Brinson his first season. Nick Solak, one of the more safe prospects, more like a Nico Horner type. He still struggled. Shogo Akiyama, another safe prospect, as a guy who comes over from Japan and is 32 years old, he struggles. And that was more of a safe guy that I expected, right? He was so good in Japan, which is perceived as a higher level minor league type of talent that you're facing. He gets a lot of money to come over here and it just was not good either. And then Luis Garcia with the Nationals. I, he, he was not ready, I don't think, for this stage, but still a highly regarded prospect he struggled. And that's just scraping the surface. We could go back to last year and just off the top of my head, Brandon Rogers in Coors Field, where it's a hitter heaven. And this is a guy that 
put up big power numbers and was a top five pick in the draft and a top prospect as well. Really struggled. We didn't even see him up in the majors hardly at all this year. It's just wild. And that's the thing is baseball is just hard. It's just a hard sport and it takes time. And that's why I joked about it. It's a little bit different. But when Ronald Acuna said uh, they hit me because they can't get me out. While you do hit the ball more frequently than a majority of Major League Baseball players, you can't say things like that in baseball because baseball, as I tweeted this, baseball is too hard. It's too difficult. You could be the best player in the world and the game is too cruel. You could go 0 for for 15 in the snap of a finger just because baseball is baseball. You can't say stuff like that. But it's a perfect example too with these prospects is you get up to the bigs, it's a lot different, and you got to adjust again. And I think we're so quick to want results, and I don't blame you because the Marlins have been preaching for so long, you know, just wait, trust the process, whatever it may be, you know, just get ready. We'll be we'll be there soon. There's so many young prospects. They are promoting them a lot, which you understand they, they got to do that. Uh, but the reality is not all of these guys are going to pan out. Or did I expect all of them to struggle right out of the gate? Of course not. I mean, it's a little bit ridiculous that Jazz, Monte, Isan, Lewis Brinson, Jesus Sanchez, all of these guys struggled right out of the gate. Yeah, that that's definitely a frustrating aspect of it. But I also think, again, you got to look at the the nature of them as prospects. Guys with most of them with high swing and miss profiles. And with limited experience in the minor leagues, most of them, minus Monte Harrison and Lewis Brinson, who have two of the largest swing and miss profiles you'll see in the minor leagues. So that that's one of those things where you're just setting yourself up for some disappointments when you go after high-variance prospects like that, but you're also setting yourself up to, to cash in on at least one or two of them to become much, much better than the average top 100 prospect. And I'm still holding out that I think at least two of those guys will do that, whether it's Monte, Jazz, or Jesus, or Luis Diaz. A few of them are going to become legitimate, legitimate major leaguers that will make a big impact. And I think more of them could still be solid big leaguers. It's just we got to take the time and we got to see. If it's with Monte Harrison, you know, you start to press a little bit more as he's getting closer to 25 years old but with Jazz Chisholm he really had no business being in the major leagues this year and I think that by that I mean he was struggling in double a pretty mightily when the Marlins acquired him he was hitting home runs but not hitting for average then in the second half of the season I'd say it's the final quarter of the season maybe final third he was much better with his hit tool with the Marlins but it was a small sample size and then no minor league season this year otherwise he would have been starting in double A, maybe triple A. And that's the thing. So he, he doesn't get much experience after kind of gaining that momentum and gets thrown into the fire a little bit. I thought he looked great defensively. I thought he showed flashes at the plate, but he's just not quite there yet. He was rushed. And I don't blame the Marlins for doing that because it was good to see, good for, to get him to get his feet wet. And they kind of needed him. So I, I think that you kind of have to take this with a grain of salt this year, especially because Jazz would have had another 200 at-bats under his belt in AA or AAA before he comes up. Probably would have succeeded a little bit more. Same with Jesus Sanchez. Same with Luis Diaz. So we 
can't be too results based on a weird year like this because again like look at some of these other players Carter Keboom that's a different one because he, he was going to be up from the start of the season but the Joey Bart Dal- Dalton Varsho Dylan Carlson Evan White Evan White was probably going to start the the season up here but even after the early struggles get sent down get some at bats then come back that usually works it's a little bit different than the alternate training site Joe Adele he came up after a week or two, I think that he would have spent a month or two in the minor leagues if there was a minor league season, but the Angels needed to win. They were starting to press, and they said, you know what, let's let's bring this guy up. So it's just, it's tough. It's tough because you want to see these guys succeed, but baseball is weird like that. And you, you draft a guy, and then he disappears for four years, and then you're finally ready for him to come to the major leagues and help your team, and then he struggles, and you're like, I already was just waiting for you for four years since I heard your name called, and now you're not going to help us. You're, you're not ready yet. It's been four years. You know, that's definitely the frustrating component of baseball, but if you look at it, more often than not, these prospects are going to struggle the first year, and I think you know, people will cite Aaron Judge all the time too with how bad he was in his first year, and it's just one of those things you've really got to be able to work out, and it takes time. With the off season, you know, I'm going to try to answer this in a slightly different way every time as to some new things that I may have come across because somebody asked if I, I think they'll be aggressive in this off season. Aggressive is probably not the right word if I'm going to say what they're going to be this year. I think they're going to be smart. They're going to be busy, but they're not going to be too, too aggressive. Aggressive would be what the Marlins were in 2012 when they were essentially, quote-unquote, in on every single player that was looking for a $100 million contract. Remember C.J. Wilson? They offered Albert Pujols. Thank goodness he didn't accept that contract. They offered, he, they signed Heath Bell. They signed Jose Reyes. They signed Mark Burley. Yeah, and they were in on just about everybody. That's not going to be something that I don't think we'll ever see with the Marlins ever again. But I do think that the Marlins are going to be in on a lot of those mid-level free agents, especially the relievers, the Blake Trinans, the Alex Colomays, which will make a big impact on this team that needs a lights-out reliever back in the back end. They're going to pick up Brandon Kinsler's option. So they're going to have Yimmy Garcia. We'll see if they bring back Boxberger. But I think they definitely need to go get one or two relievers to really bolster the back end of that pen. And you can imagine with the starting pitching that the Marlins have, Bridging that gap and and having the quality starting pitching and then some good setup guys to potentially go to a closer with Kinsler probably coming back. I'd be shocked if he, he isn't having his option picked up. He could be the setup guy. Maybe the Marlins stick with him at closer. But if he's a setup guy for a column A or a Trinan, you know, that's a much better bullpen or vice versa, just to have some more proven, consistent arms in the back end. One or two would make a huge difference for the Marlins. And that, that's something that I think will be one of the first things that they address alongside with catcher. And I mentioned Christian Vasquez. That, that I think, is one of those deals that could make a lot of sense for the Marlins. Because for the Red Sox, they can, they can afford to probably trade Vasquez right now because they can use that. He's already 30 to assess some other needs. Eliezer Hernandez would be probably one of the most consistent and reliable pitchers that the Red Sox have right now, assuming Chris Sale isn't 100% right away to start the season. They don't really have anybody. If you can dangle a relatively proven, young, controllable pitcher like Eliezer Hernandez, then throw in an outfield prospect and go get a Christian Vasquez, that would make the Marlins a lot better offensively. Vasquez is still a solid defensive catcher and he was really good this year 
and really good for a team that was miserable. And we know how good he was last year. He's really started to put it together at the plate. I was very impressed with what he was able to do. Definitely a later bloomer, so you might want to be a little careful of how much you give up for a Christian Vasquez. But 23 home runs, 72 driven in, in a 798 OPS with some good defense. You could make the case, okay, yeah, that was in a really good offense. So for him, you know, it, it, a lot of the pressure was taken off him. He was getting more pitches to hit. Sure. I think there's some validity to that point. But then he comes in this year with an offense that pretty much struggled a majority of the year. He was maybe the best offensive player for a lot of the season for the Red Sox. And he played 47 games and was solid. 801 OPS, pretty much continued from where he was last year, was even a little bit better. Walked a bit more, struck out a bit less. Home runs were right on track. He had seven, drove in 23. And the defense, solid. That's an upgrade from Jorge Alfaro, no doubt in my mind. But do you want to trade for a 30-year-old catcher that really hadn't started putting it together until last year? I don't know. The The truth is, I'd much rather give up more for a Salvi Perez than give up a little bit less for a Christian Vasquez. And that's where the Marlins will have to make their decision if they're deciding to go get somebody at all, whether they want to do it and go all in for a Salvador Perez or go a little bit cheaper for a Christian Vasquez. He's a little bit cheaper contract-wise. He's a little bit cheaper with what it will take to trade for him. And the Red Sox probably will match up a little better with the Marlins because of how much pitching the Marlins have and how badly the Red Sox need pitching. The Royals need bats more, and I think the Marlins are a little bit more reluctant to part with their bats, though there's an outfield bat that the Royals would take from the dearth of Marlins outfielder prospects that they have. It's just which ones do the Marlins are the Marlins more comfortable parting with? And we know that Connor Scott or Gerard Encarnacion is not going to get it done. So it's going to take more than that. Or maybe they take another pitcher and stockpile. But I just think that the Red Sox match up a little bit better. Both are free agents in 2022. I would be happy with either. It would be an upgrade either way. And it would be a good move for the Marlins to, to make. I'm going to answer one more question, but a reminder that this episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bar is the best option for somebody who's looking to maintain or lose weight while indulging in a delicious treat. Six brand new flavors on top of their 12 already delicious flavors. I do a flavor profile every time, and now I'm running out of them. I think, I think I'm out. I think I'm out of flavor profiles because I've done cookies and cream before, but cookies and cream is absolutely delicious. So if you forgot, 17 grams of protein, 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, 4 grams of net carbs. It's tough to beat that. It honestly doesn't even make sense when you eat it that the health facts are that impressive. And if you go to BuiltBar.com right now and use the promo code LOCKEDON, you'll get 20% off your next order. That's promo code LOCKEDON at BuiltBar.com for 20% off your next order and a free cooler with your purchase while supplies last. That's BuiltBar.com, promo code LOCKEDON. So one more question I wanted to get to where it was about Sixto. So of course I got to answer some Sixto questions. And if you didn't catch it in in the past, it was a few weeks ago, I had Pitching Ninja on. That was on the other podcast that I do under Locked On. It was Locked On MLB Prospects. And if you're a prospect type of fan that just is into it beyond the Marlins, I talk plenty Marlins prospects on there, but I talk prospects all across baseball, across the NL East. And if you think I talk about Alec Bohm a lot on here, I like Alec Bohm a lot on that podcast as well. But that, that I talk about everybody, and I try to be pretty unbiased. So if you want to know 
what the Braves prospects are looking like and how they're going to impact the Marlins in the coming years, all that stuff. I talk about that, but I go all across the league and I'm going to be doing a breakdown of all 30 to all top 30s for every team in the league this offseason and plenty more fun stuff. But I digress. I, I was talking about Sixto Sanchez with pitching ninja Rob Friedman, and he absolutely loves Sixto and with good reason. Sixto is special. But we talked about some of the things that he can improve upon and about just his ability to locate the lack of swing and miss at times for the stuff that he has. But you look at the league right now, there's quite a few guys with a similar profile, especially pitching in this World Series right now. Look at Brutzer Gratterall. He is the hardest throwing pitcher in the major leagues. And it's also nasty. It's a sinker that is 101, 102 even harder than Sixto, and a nasty, nasty slider. It's only a two-pitch mix for him, so it's a little bit different. But he does not nearly get the swings and misses that you would expect. About 13 strikeouts in over 20 innings in the regular season. And he gave up quite a few home runs and just does not quite locate as well as he should, but he doesn't walk a ton of batters. Dustin May, same story. Does not get the swing and miss you would expect. Another hard-throwing sinker guy. And it just kind of begs the question, why are these guys that throwing so hard that throw sinkers, why are they struggling to get swings and misses? And I talked about this in the past, and it just continued to, to ring true, is that they all don't really possess a four-seam fastball that they're comfortable locating in the upper parts of the zone. When Sixto was on, he definitely was doing that. But when he wasn't going well, we saw him really kind of afraid to throw that fastball up and locate it because he wasn't really spotting it up. It would come back over the middle of the plate, and that's where he'd give up the home runs. So he was mostly going with hard sinkers down, change-ups down, and sliders down, and now the hitter's eliminating the upper portion of the zone. While he's going to get a lot of ground balls and weak contact, which he did, you're not going to get as much swing and miss, and good hitters are going to be able to spoil, 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 and eventually square one up. And that's the Freddie Freemans and those types of players that are just smart enough to eliminate that upper tier of the zone and really lock in on the lower half and eventually guess the right pitch. But if you guess fastball and he throws you a 92-mile-an-hour changeup, but you got the location right where you knew it was going to be down, you should be able to at least get a piece of it. And that's what we're seeing is people are able to spoil those 6 0 pitches. So what I would say where 6 0 needs to improve, because that was you know one of the questions I got is, he needs to be more comfortable getting right-handed hitters out because the changeup is his crutch against lefties, and it's a fantastic pitch. But when you don't have enough separation between the two pitches, it's going to be more. It's going to affect you more against righties, and we're seeing that, and that's why righties had more success against him. But if you can't locate that slider, and he has a good slider. It just is not as consistent. Some days it looked a little bit flat. Some days he wasn't locating it as well. And that's where if righties can eliminate that slider, if you're a right-handed hitter sitting fastball changeup on Sixto Sanchez, you're in pretty good shape because, again, the separation is not huge. It's hard or harder, and you can eliminate the slider somewhat. If he locates it, you tip your cap. And in the games where he's not locating it, you can tell that hitters are just spitting on the slider right out of his hand. So he's giving basically hitters at the plate right now process of elimination. And you don't want to do that because baseball is a guessing game. You don't want to make the guess easier. And that's why I think he's really got to focus on commanding the secondary pitches to players from both to hitters from both sides of the plate. 
but also just commanding all of his pitches. We see the fastball, just he struggles to locate quite often. And you see the setup away, and he'll throw that two-seamer, and it'll tail right back over the middle of the plate. How many times? I have a couple threads on, on Twitter of him doing that. And it's because of his mechanics. His mechanics generate a lot of torque and a lot of rotation, but when you're that rotational, sometimes the arm lags behind or the opposite, you compensate and tug it over. And how many times did we see Sixto Sanchez tug a fastball over into a left-handed hitter's feet where we saw them jump out of the way? Or how many times did we see him lose one where it goes up and into a right-handed hitter? Sixto is so explosive and rotational, which is okay. I'm not saying he should change that, but he's got to get used to timing that all up because when you have that much torque, you got to time your hips with your arm, with your stride, and all of that together. And that just takes either reps or making a small adjustment. I think he's going to make a small adjustment mechanically, but also I think he's going to spend a lot of time seeing what worked and what didn't against what hitters because he has the natural tools. He has ridiculous raw ability and raw pitches and just pure pitch quality. It's just using them in the right situations and getting the most out of them is where he's still developing. I think this year in the major leagues was really good for him because he saw some of the success, he saw some of the struggles, and he knows what to improve upon. I think it's going to be a lot of the mental side for him, looking at tape, seeing where he went wrong, and then also a lot on the mechanical side, trying to be more consistent with your mechanics, finding the same landing spot, staying closed the same amount of time, keeping that arm angle the same, and and not having it all out of whack sometimes because we saw his mechanics be a little bit inconsistent at times because of how explosive he is and how much torque he generates. He's going to be special. I have no doubt in my mind. And he's going to become one of the better pitchers in the National League. It's just one of those things that he needs to take the time to become more of a pitcher because it's one thing to not walk guys, but if you don't have command, and I always emphasize the difference between control and command. It's great if you don't walk guys, but if you don't hit your spots, you're going to give up home runs. You're going to give up shots. You're going to give up a lot of two strike hits. And that's exactly what he did because it's the worst thing you can do when you're ahead with two strikes is not hit your spots. So I'll do more video breakdowns and look at some of the old six toe starts to talk about what he did well and where he can improve. So this won't be the last I talk about six toe. I'm going to be better with the mailbags. I'll probably give you guys an opportunity to send some questions in on the weekend leading into Monday. So there's a few days to get the questions in because this this is something I really enjoy and, and I want to get do it to doing it more. Plenty of episodes on the way that are going to be fun. A lot of breakdowns of the Marlins seasons, like each individual player, some recaps from how they did this year, how I think they're going to do moving forward, kind of like I did with Miguel Rojas earlier in the week. That's what I'm going to keep doing moving forward. And I'm going to Probably get to just about any player for the Marlins that played more than a handful of games this year and kind of assess their future and what they did well and what they didn't do well last year. So that's definitely going to be a consistent trend moving forward. As always, thank you for listening, and I look forward to talking Marlins baseball with you tomorrow.